Good morning. Good morning. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for this church and for the just the weekly uh, opportunity and privilege of coming uh, together uh, to have wonderful food and also, Lord, to, uh, we pray, to be nourished by your word. And so we ask now as we open these parables that you would show us exactly what the kingdom of heaven is like, uh, that you would give us a clear understanding uh, by your Spirit working uh, in us as we as we learn together. So, Father, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, and we pray that you be present with us and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a reminder, as I've uh, passed out the uh, the sign-in sheets for you, that um, that why we're doing those is so that the staff can know that what we are doing is um, what we are doing is helping people to grow in a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. That's our vision. Uh, we want we would love to see the same number of people who are attending our services also attending Bible studies or small groups. So right now we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 160 people who are in um, who are in small groups or Bible studies on a regular basis. And so, and we have about 300 people in church. So, matching those two numbers is a long-term goal. But how can you help? Well, you can bring someone to Rector's Forum, buy them breakfast, and um, and then uh, have them sit with you, or bring a bring a friend, not just a friend from the um, from the church, which would be great, uh, who's not coming, but also a friend just from your neighborhood who doesn't go to church. That'd be awesome too. So. It just helps us to know that the things that we're doing, the environment we're creating as a staff, are helping people wherever they are in their spiritual journey to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. All right. So, bring a friend. We are, this week, looking at the parables of Jesus. They um, They are primarily where we're focusing our attention today, Matthew 13 and Luke chapter 10. Um, Matthew 13 has a bunch of parables. Luke chapter 10, we're focusing in on the Good Samaritan. We're not going to get to all of the parables in, uh, in Matthew 13. I'm going to focus mostly on the parable of the sower, and then we'll do the parable of the Good Samaritan. If we have time, we'll come back to Matthew 13, and we'll do some like the hidden treasure and, and the pearl of great price and so on. So... Um, Parables. I actually did a, a series, a teaching series. You may remember a few. Uh, uh, I don't know. Gosh, a couple years ago now, in the rector's forum on the parables, and I'll tell you, they're hard. They're they're very difficult. They start, they sort of seem easy, um, but they are not. They they are very charming. They're very vivid uh, in their imagery, but they're not easy. Um, we kind of think that they were like sermon illustrations where they, they make it make everything much clearer like all my sermon illustrations too <laughs> I, I hope and pray Lord Jesus but they're not like sermon illustrations they're like onions they, uh, they just have layers and layers and layers and you keep peeling back and finding uh, more there um, so a lot of times what we find is that that not only do we not really know exactly what they are saying, but we sometimes don't even know exactly why Jesus uses them. Because again, He's not exactly doing it to make it 
clear. Uh, but to so well, let's see. Let's see what he says about about the reason that he uses parables. So I'm going to look in, in Matthew. I'm going to skip over the initial parable of the sower and read verses 10 through 17. In Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17, that's where he talks about the purpose of the parable. So he's, if you were following along, you would see that he tells the parable, then he tells the purpose of the parable, and then he tells the meaning of the parable. Uh, and you probably remember, we've talked about this before, that when you have, um, you have like the parable and then something else, and then the description of the parable, those are pointing to what's on the inside of those. It's like a, a literary device. But um, So it's sandwiched between the parable and its explanation is the purpose of the parables. The disciples came and said to Him, Why do you speak to them in parables? So why do you speak to the, the crowd in these parables? And He answered them, To you, disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not been given. He's not saying, and I don't want them to know. He's just saying, you, you're, you understand. You, you've got, you've not all, we see the disciples, they don't really have it figured out uh, always. But you, you're gaining understanding, they haven't. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing that seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. I admit that on the uh, surface of this, we could take it as if it were saying, as if Jesus were saying, I'm telling them these things so that they will not understand. I do not think that's what Jesus is saying. I think the a literal translation doesn't isn't interpreted in English the same way it would be interpreted in Greek. Does that make sense? So it's constructed differently. It says, I mean, it's the right words, but it's not interpreted the same way. Right. I think Jesus is shaking his head and saying, they, they, I want to give them, in that sense it is like a sermon illustration, because I want to give them as much as they can to hold on to, so they have the best chance of understanding. But understanding is not a matter of the intellect, it's a matter of faith. So, um, the, he says to the disciples, to you it's been given to know the secrets. In some translations, it's, it's the mysteries of the kingdom. The word in Greek is the mysterion. Uh, it's the hidden things. These hidden things have been revealed to you, disciples, but they're still hidden. It's not like they've been unearthed. 
It's just you've been given access to the back of the cave, and you they're still hidden, but you see them. Um, any Marvel movie fans here? Yes? Yeah, all of you, I can tell. You're all big Marvel fans. You're just not willing to admit it. You're all fans. Don't, don't worry about what other people think of you. You're in, it's a safe place. You're in church. Okay, Larry, all right. Um, so in Marvel, there is this uh, whole country called Wakanda, right? The Black Panthers from Wakanda. And, um, and it is this incredibly elaborate and high-tech place, but it's hidden. Part of their technology is they have this, like, shield uh, of, um, it looks like trees. You can fly right through, it's like a movie projector, but it just looks like a mountainside. You fly through it, and underneath it is this incredible city. That's, that's what the parables are, right? It looks it looks like something on the outside, but then you, once you're in, you, you, you understand it more. It's more, uh, it's not hidden anymore. So, um, so, so let me, that, I'm sure that makes perfect sense. Um, the, um, so, no, it does. Okay, so Romans, in, in the book of Romans, Paul says this uh, about the gospel. He says, in, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Remember, remember he says that, um, uh, chapter 1, verses six, verse 16. But then he says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. In other words, you're not going to get argued into the kingdom. Hearing it is not a matter of intellect. You can hear it and understand the words, but if you don't have the faith, then you're just not, it's not going to understand. It's given from a position of faith for people of faith. And the parables are exactly the same way. And people, that's why people hear the gospel and they think that is ridiculous. And some other people hear the gospel and think that is the most life-saving, energizing, wonderful thing I've ever heard uh, in my life because it's, it's taken from faith. And the parables are the same way. So, for instance, you can hear the parable of the sower and you can have a nice story about seed being gathered and, and uh, you know, different types of soil and such, but until you under, come at it from a position of faith, it's just a nice story. Uh, the same thing with the hidden treasure. Uh, you can think, well, okay, Christians think that the gospel is worth you know, a lot, uh, but from the inside, it's worth everything. Uh, and, and it, it just, I don't know, the, the function of it is given from faith for faith. These are the parables. It's totally like uh, Wakanda. So, um, so again, I don't think Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm telling these parables so that people won't understand. Uh, but neither do I think that He's using the parables to make everything easier to understand. He's given you a, a multi-layered fruit to to peel back and be nourished on the further you go in. Uh, one author that I like, in fact, I, I held up his book when we went through the parables uh, in a series, uh, Robert Farrar Capon. He's a, he was he, an Episcopal priest, prolific author, um, and a, and a uh, five-star chef. So um, He's dead now. So, But uh, he died a few years ago. He wrote this about the parables. If you grasp the fact that the kingdom works in a mystery. Seen, uh, if you grasp the fact that the kingdom works in a mystery, then that very grip will give you more and more understanding. But if you don't grasp that, then everything you ha- that happens will make it look as if your plausibility-loving understanding is being deliberately taken from you. 
In other words, if you understand that it's a mystery, you'll gain more and more understanding. But if you try to make it concrete, it's going to slip through your fingers. Does that make sense? I have a question. Yes. Do you think maybe, and I don't know, do you think maybe um, we were talking about the onion and and the mystery of it, that the Lord is drawing people in with their curiosity, asking them to get closer and closer to get more and more understanding as they get closer to Him? Because He's he's saying to His disciples, this is revealed to you. They're the people closest to Him Mm -hmm. who have some intimacy with Him. So, I don't know. And I'm thinking about Abraham, God revealing, you know, saying, how can I hide this from Abraham? Mm-hmm. Um, Abraham is the father of faith. Um, I don't I'm just making all kinds of weird So, if you couldn't hear Darla, she's, um, and make sure I understand what you said. Do you think that Jesus is perhaps just drawing people in to make them more curious? And, and I would say yes. Absolutely. But it's not just an apples, you know, apples to apples. One part part A equals you know part A, number. It's, just, it's not just um, a one to one ratio of you know the father equals the in the parable equals the father of God. And some of them are like the prodigal son, which we'll look at next week. But some of them are very layered. Is all. So yes, I think there is a curiosity factor there. But I think that let's say I as a baby Christian get something really important out of the parable of the hidden treasure. And 30 years later, as a hopefully much more mature Christian, I get something entirely different. Um, I, I don't think that discounts what I got initially. But I, um, but I also think that if, if there's a, I would have said that was the first layer on the inside maybe. So that, that's all I'm trying to say. Uh, I think what we have gotten a very clear picture of is that it's not as clear as we think it is. <laughs> so, um, so that's the that's and if that's true, if 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 you've gained that, if you've gained some appreciation for the fact that it's a mystery and they need to be approached cautiously and not flippantly, then I think that that is success here this morning. Well, it's like Bible study too. When you're little and you're hearing Bible stories, they're nice stories. Yes. But as you mature in your faith and you continue in Bible study, you understand more and more. And, and, you know, each time you read it, you get something more out of it. That's right. And yet what you get, the more that you get doesn't at all discount no. what you got. So you can have people give their lives to the study of it and get PhD, you know, multiple PhDs, and they have the same understanding as a child, a four-year-old, who says, Jesus loves me, this I know. Right? So... All right, so let's, let's look at the parable of the sower. Now, this is a watershed passage. It seems to be the first time that Jesus told uh, a parable, and it really worked for him. Um, like, and he thought, like, this is really good. And in fact, it's so important that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include it. And when anytime you see a, 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 something included multiple times like this, um, you want to pay attention. Now, if you're just reading through Matthew, you might not think to look in Mark and Luke to see if it's included, but it is. So that's important. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and the great crowds gathered about Him so that He got into a boat and sat down. That's my dream for a, a riverbank service. Um, that there's so many people that come, I'll have to get in a boat uh, and get out in the, in the river. 
And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. Isn't it funny that he doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is like? He just starts telling this story. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, but since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He never even says, I'm actually talking about God, so y'all pay attention. He just says, a sower not to sow. And there were four kinds of soil, and, and this is what happened to them, and See y'all later. It's lunchtime. I mean, they just—it's like he doesn't even. It's very strange. The disciples do have some understanding, some sense that he um, is—he is talking about the kingdom, about spiritual things, and so they recognize it as a parable. Why do you speak to them in parables? And we've talked about why because he wants to give us a depth, a a layered depth. Here then, this is verse 18, if you're following along, and I hope you are. Uh, Here then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So, there's four kinds of soil. There's the path. Satan snatches away the, the word. There's a rocky soil. There's no root of faith. The The faith withers. Uh, under the scorching heat of the sun. The thorns, um, the concerns of the world, the riches, choke out faith. And, um, and good soil, a hundredfold, 60 or 30. So what, what is being thrown? The Word of the Kingdom, that's what it says. Right? The gospel, the word of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom, that's the logos of the kingdom. Remember what the logos is? In John, the gospel of John, in the beginning was the logos. And the logos was with God and the logos was God. 
and Capon, the author that I just read from, that he he uh, converges John's logos to understand that the the word of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom, it ultimately is Jesus Himself. Ultimately, it's Jesus who's being scattered. Now, he will readily admit that he's on the interpretive fringe and that most scholars understand uh, what is being cast is Jesus' proclamation, uh, which is to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I don't know that those things need to be exclusive, mutually exclusive. Um, Whether it's the message of the kingdom or the incarnate embodiment of that message, what we need to see is that the seed is not spread carefully. If you have a garden in your yard, you don't take the seed and just throw it everywhere. You know where the good soil is. You plant it in there carefully. Even if there's grass seed, you're trying not to get it on the sidewalk. What is so strange about this is the carelessness, the lavishness with which the sower goes out to sow. He casts his seed everywhere. He is not careful at all. It is willy-nilly. There's no indication that he, in, he meant for it to land in the good field, the well-tended soil, but it just happened to land on the rocky path. It goes everywhere as if it's on purpose. Isn't that strange? The sower is indiscriminate. The word is spread everywhere. Think of how this informs the other parables that come in this chapter. The parable of the weeds, where the wheat and the weeds grow up right next to each other. And the farmer says, "Uh, hold on, Don't, don't harvest it yet. Let it grow up and it'll be harvested at the end times. Or the treasure is hidden in a very random field. Or the, the uh, pearl of great price is just happens, happened upon and, and discovered. The net hauls in good fish and bad fish in the same catch. Pearls before swine. Don't catch your pearls before swine. It is, it is everywhere. Before the parable of the sower is a call to be good soil. And it may be. But before it is a call to be good soil, it is a parable about the catholicity of the word of the kingdom. It's universal. So for instance, when we talk about evangelism, and we talk about how important it is for you to invite your friend, your neighbor, um, or to go and serve the poor, whatever evangelism looks like and you feel called to, you're not going to take Jesus to that place. You're calling to reveal Jesus in the place where He already is. Because it's spread everywhere. And this also says it's not just for a few of us, it's for everybody. It's for Everybody, absolutely, it's not spread carefully, it's spread lavishly with reckless abandon. In this sense, the kingdom of heaven is always at hand, right? It's always at hand. Which means you can go uh, to St. John's Cathedral, or you can go to the biker bar, or you can go to Jack's Beach, and it is always at hand, regardless of what's going on around you. I went to Clearwater Beach yesterday, and let me tell you, um, 
it's it was good to be reminded that the kingdom of heaven is at hand because uh, it was that's that's kind of a wild place. Um, I I can't say that I was evangelizing. Um, I probably needed some evangelism at that point. Uh, let me say this: that just to know the catholicity of the kingdom, that it is spread everywhere, is humbling. Um, it is. Uh, it keeps us from judging, and it is partnering with us. Let me say what I mean by that: it's humbling. If we, if you have faith, let's, so again, we're not talking about this well-tended, manicured, large plot of land. We're talking about that you happened to be good soil. What? Why do you have faith? What is it about you that makes you have faith? Makes you good soil. That's pretty humbling, actually. Maybe it was the family you were brought up in, but you didn't choose that family. God did. Maybe you turned away from you know, uh, in a, uh, some other unhealthy behavior in a bad season of your life. Why? Because a lot of people don't. Why? Why? Why do you have faith? Why not the person next to us? Can it be anything other than grace that has led us to have a flourishing faith? Grace is a mysterion. Right? It's a secret. It's a, it's a hidden thing revealed to us. It's humbling. It also keeps us from judging. I mean, you know you have rocks and thorns in your garden, right? I mean, you know, the, the, the riches of the world, that's my big problem. My, all my riches are always... Um, um, I'm just kidding, I don't have many riches. You know, <laughs> chill out. I know it's Lent. Lighten up. Um, the, um, but the, 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 the concerns of the world, the riches of the world, or the, um, the, the times where the scorching heat uh, seems to really challenge our faith. You know that you have rocks and, and thorns in your garden. I don't think there's one of us that would say, I'm the good soil. Right? And so, when, but it allows, that, doesn't that allow us to be empathetic rather than judgmental to someone who's having trouble growing? And again, it's, it's partnering. It's not our task to take Jesus where He is not um, and to sow the seeds, but to just partner with the Spirit's work in tending His own soil. I just I find that incredibly warm. Now, I do think we can look at this and say, yes, I need to be good soil, right? And so, Lord, tend my garden. This, actually, think about the parable that Jesus tells in our Gospel passage this morning that Trent uh, alludes to. What does repentance look like? Standing still as a tree and letting the gardener tend to you. And, uh, and in fact, uh, Trent's not so crass to say it, but he piles up a lot of manure around as a way of, of strengthening. Sometimes the Lord piles up manure in your life as a way to feed you, and it stinks, right? But it is for your good. So, the parable of the sower is about more than just be good soil. Because it's multi-layered. But it is, nevertheless, a call to be good soil. So if you learned that in Sunday school or you taught that in Sunday school, great. But there's more to it. Alright, so we're going to, rather than go through all of these, I mean, again, we could take months, really, to go through all these parables. Um, 
Let's flip over to Luke chapter 10 and look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And uh, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Another very well-known, very much beloved uh, parable. Um, it starts with, so this it's in, uh, it starts with verse 25, but about right before that, Jesus is praying. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, uh, and you have revealed them to little children. So what is he saying? I mean, that's the context that the Good Samaritan comes in. He's saying that the rev- revelation of God has come not to the savvy or to the intellect. Now, again, it's not that the Word of God is not for the savvy and the intellectual. It's just that that's not the means by which we gain the Word of the Kingdom. It's come to the child. It's come to the one who has nothing to offer. It's come to the dirty face, snot-nosed uh, one who takes, takes without even thinking to uh, give thanks in return. The child. That's the one that it, the Kingdom is given to. And that seems unfair and un. Uh, unjust in a sense, but incredibly gracious when we think of ourselves as that child. It hasn't come to the summa cum laude religious types. It's come to the riffraff flunky commoners. This is the context for the Good Samaritan. The Logos, the Gospel, is being made available to everybody. Right? Okay. Verse 25, Luke chapter 10. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, maybe to trick him, maybe just to test his orthodoxy, to see if he was the real deal. Hard to tell. Because it doesn't seem like a very hard question for somebody like Jesus. There's not a lot of guile in it. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, that really is the question, right? I mean, what... We're all, none of us gets out of here alive, so what do I need to do to make sure I end up in the good place and not the bad place, right? And Jesus said to him, he turns the question around on him, what, what is written in the law? You're, you're a lawyer. How do you read it? And rather than saying, oh, no, no, Jesus, you're not going to get out of it like that, he answers him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, just do that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And love your neighbor to the same degree that you love yourself. Just do that and you will live. But he, I love this phrase, so good, St. Paul would be so happy with Luke. And probably, I mean, there's a very good chance that Luke got it from Paul, because remember, Luke traveled with Paul. But this is what he says. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I mean, that is a question for the ages. And certainly a question for all disciples. On the inside. Who is my neighbor? Because it's easy, and Jesus elucidates this many times uh, throughout the Gospels, it's very easy to love the people we love and to be affirmed for that and live our whole lives and never think twice about it. 
much harder to love those who are hard to love. Especially when they don't deserve it. But that's the gospel. You and I were loved when we didn't deserve it by God. So here, here it is. Here's the parable. Answering the question, who is my neighbor? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Incidentally, that's the same word that we will uh, see next week in the parable of the good, uh, I mean, the parable of the prodigal son, where the father sees the son from a long way off and has compassion. <coughs> he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay, uh, I will repay you when I come back. So he looks at the lawyer and says, Well, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says to him, You go and do likewise. True story, my brother-in-law is a cyclist, uh, quite a good cyclist, has been for a number of years, and uh, several years ago now, maybe 10 years ago, he was riding and was taking a a turn and hit some gravel and his tire um, slipped out from him and he just had a really bad wipeout, smacked his face on the gravel, his uh, clothes were all torn up. And he kind of, he's bleeding and he gets to himself and this Mercedes pulls up and then shoots off. And then an Audi pulled up and shot off. And then this um, Hispanic man in this old beat up truck pulls over, puts the truck in his, and puts the bike in the back of his truck and takes him home. I mean, it's just, it's a true, true story. So, interesting that the lawyer is the one with the insight to say, now, if I don't find a loophole in this, I'm toast, right? Because he knows. He knows. That the law, what the law does, I mean, the height of the law is love. The, if you boil all the law down, uh, it is that we are to love God and love our neighbor, but not just to have nice feelings about them, right? We're to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Which is to say that um, it's not means it doesn't mean that we don't have uh, love for others, because certainly that's the second is we love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, but it is to say that our love for other things and other people is filtered through and actually the fruit of our love for God, because we love Him with gladness and singleness of heart. And we look at our own uh, lives, we look at our own uh, last 24 hours, and we know that we um, have wandering hearts, Uh, we have divided hearts, Um, we we can't love our neighbor quite to the same degree that we love ourselves. 
In fact, if we love our neighbor, we want to, you know, if we give them a gift, we want to make sure they give them, uh, write a thank you note. Um, and if they don't, uh, well, you know, my, um, my mother used to make me write uh, thank you notes uh, because uh, she knew no, that well, she knew that the person that I was writing would let her know about it if I didn't. <laughs> um, so the question is, is that, is that a gift? <laughs> I'm not sure that's actually a gift. Who is my neighbor? What is this parable about? Unconditional love. Okay. Say so most parables are about unconditional love. Faith and action, okay. What else? It's it's also about um, there's an element of surprise of where the mercy was coming from. Yes, yeah, the mercy came from an unexpected place. You got now. The thing is, the priest would have uh, been aware. Probably, uh, again, another theme that comes up in our gospel passage today that Trent preaches on is that. He would have probably thought this man was under God's judgment. Best to stay away. Or, if I touch him, I'm going to be unclean and then can't do my priestly duties. So he had good reason. I've got a lot of good reasons not to pull over on the side of the road and help somebody when I'm on my way to a meeting and I've got my collar on and I don't want to get my suit messed up because I'm going to see the bishop. Right or wrong, I always think about this when that happens. I think it is a parable about how Jesus has loved us. Because this is mercy given from an unexpected place. And you have, if we see ourselves as the one who has been beaten by uh, and bloodied by our own sin, the own choices we've made, I mean, he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was the city of the king. Jericho was the city that had been overthrown in, in the Old Testament. Anyone who builds this city is going to uh, rebuilds the city is going to have judgment cast upon them. Any way you slice it, he's heading in the right in the wrong direction. And so he's falls falls in the hands of robbers. They leave him for dead. Jesus has come to us bloodied and bruised as we are by our sin. He picks us up. He puts us on the mule of His own righteousness, uh, takes us to that place of healing, and pays the price. I think that Jesus is the original Good Samaritan, the original outsider who shows mercy. Capon, the author I was telling you about, he sees Jesus in the one who is bloodied. He sees that more than anybody else in the parable, that he that Jesus is the one who is uh, outcast, who has been beaten up. Again, I'm not saying he's wrong. I wouldn't have thought of that. It's another layer, uh, perhaps, to it. He's the one who needs healing on our on our behalf. I think I think actually it makes it harder to. Uh, I'm not saying there's nothing there, but it's, it's, it's harder, I think. So, Jesus ends the parable with a call to the lawyer to 
imitate the behavior. So it is a call to enact the works of the kingdom. To be part of the reason that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To partner with God in being an unexpected place of mercy. But only if first, we are the one who has received that mercy. That's how I see it. That's 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 how I um, find the most meaning in it. There may be a time where I find more meaning in, uh, in another layer. But if it's a call to go and be a good Samaritan, uh, without it first saying that Jesus is the original good Samaritan, then I, I think it's just law. But if Jesus is the original good Samaritan, then it is a fruit, that our imitation is a fruit of His grace. And I think... That is the indication um, that when we have a, we are called to be a good Samaritan. We're not called. I mean, he was basically nameless. He's not. He's not named. He's just. He just does what is right and moves on. He doesn't stick around to get the uh, good Samaritan award, right? He just moves on. Well, this, yeah, so I didn't say that. I mean, the Samaritans were the outsiders. They were the uh, half-breeds. They, they were the heretics. They were the ones that had, uh, whose lineage had essentially sold out. They weren't pure Jews. And so that's, that's another layer, having the priest and the Levite who are, would have been pure Jews to, to pass on one side, but the one who gives him mercy, the one who is a neighbor, is the one who should have had nothing to do with him. Again, should God have had anything to do with us, only for His own glory? So, so it, it, yes. Kind of with with uh, looking at uh, Jesus as being the one that was beaten up and bruised, as well as being the the Good Samaritan. Kind of like uh, 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 Trent's analogy this morning about God being the, the owner. And the gardener. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. He can take he can take two roles. There's two roles. One God. He can he can take them both. So. Isn't that that part where <clears throat> someone says, "Well, Jesus, what did I do for you?" Hmm. And he said, "Well, you fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me. Mm-hmm. You visited me in person." Mm-hmm. That that sometimes when you can't really like love your neighbor because of something that you really hate about them or something that they did that really hurts you, you just have to put the face of Jesus. On. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're doing it for Jesus, maybe not particularly for them, but you're doing it because Jesus told me to love, and you're trying to do that in the best interest. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a good thing he didn't say like your neighbor as you like yourself, right? <laughs> Just love them. Yeah, if you didn't hear Bishop Howard's um, talk on Wednesday night, I would encourage you to listen to it on the podcast, yeah. folks. That is, uh, we're at time, and I got to go to church, but um, a lot to chew on here, a lot to chew on. Next week. Uh, both the sermon and the class will be about the parable of the uh, prodigal sons. So read up on Luke 15 and come, come next week. And bring a friend. <laughs>